Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Adele Ravella, author of Buyer Personas, How to Gain Insight into Your Customers' Expectations, Align Your Marketing Strategies, and Win More Business. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Adele Ravella, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? Well, I am great, Doug. I am so excited to be here. You are one of my favorite interviewers, so this is really fun for me. Well, it's easy to do when it's one of your heroes. (laughs) And I know you're uncomfortable with that kind of praise, but it's really true. So we're up to about episode 280, and you were episode 10. Wow. You were an early supporter, and I'm so excited uh, to have been able to interview you then because just when I started the podcast, you came out with your book, which we'd all been waiting forever for, (laughs) and you finally obliged us, and that is one of my favorite, favorite books. I talk about it all the time. At least once a week, I'm sending a link to that five-year-old interview to people saying, you've got to read this, uh, and otherwise you're doing it the hard way. There's a couple of the things that are so interesting to me is that when my content director started at my agency, he came from the world of journalism. He was a business journalist, and he was thinking, oh, no, I don't know about all this digital marketing. And I said, don't worry, I can teach you all that. And on the first day, I handed him a copy of Buyer Personas, and I said, that is the first book you're going to read. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's still working there, and he's been very, very successful. He's read lots of other books, and he said, yep, that was definitely the right one to start with. So uh, for folks that may not have listened to episode number 10, I should remind folks that uh, Del Ravella is the CEO and founder of the Buyer Persona Institute and the author of Buyer Personas, and you've been doing this for a while, and you've had lots of different uh, positions and you've worked in marketing and management and were you even in sales at one point? 
I was. Uh, it's a dirty little secret. But yes, I actually carried a bag once for about nine months. And then for seven years of my career, I ran both marketing and sales. So actually quite a bit of my method really evolves out of what I learned as a sales rep about what I needed to know about a buyer in order to influence them and and persuade them to buy whatever I was mark selling to them at the time. And that is why I am so insistent on having lots of authors of sales books on the Marketing Book Podcast, because if marketers don't read about sales and go on sales calls and study the buyers and understand them, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, the ones that do that are much more effective marketers. And you've probably seen that even more than I have. But let's back up for a second, Adele. Where are you? Are you at home in Washington State? I am. I I am blissfully at home on San Juan Island, uh, Friday Harbor, some people call it, in the Puget Sound. Uh, quite a bit north of Seattle, a bit a bit south of Vancouver, British Columbia. And it's a bit cloudy today, but otherwise, this is, if you have to be in quarantine, uh, don't everybody rush here, by the way. Uh, we're trying to avoid that, but this is this is a darn good place to be. Have they been trying to keep people out who might have vacation homes there? Oh, yes, endlessly. And yeah, it's, you know, everybody's sort of like, ah. Oh, we're safe here. Y'all just stay away now. <laughs> Adele, my next question is very important. I need to know, are you sheltering in place there with some furry friends? Oh, you know it, Doug. You know it. So we have two sort of English versions of dogs. We have an English cream retriever. It's like a golden retriever, except he's all white. Is that Charlie? That's Charlie. Yes, we have two of those. Yeah, that's right. I remember. And then we have an English Cocker Spaniel uh, named Roxy. And Roxy is the newer edition. Yeah, she's only two years old and and she's a smaller dog. But I was determined to have a dog that might live longer after losing my beloved, beloved Bernese Mountain Dog to cancer after seven years. So... Yeah, so we, and then we also have a cat, not to forget Missy, our shelter cat. And so, yeah, we are uh, well accompanied, my husband and I, by fur babies here. Great. So you're healthy and the dogs are probably thrilled that you're there even more and not on the road. Yeah, the thing for me, Doug, is that I really built this company to be uh, the kind of business where not only myself, but the 15 people on my team could all work from home. And so we've been, and it was really kind of my objective. It's been 10 years since I started this company. And the 10 years prior to this, that I had run a company where I was traveling all over the world teaching a two-day product marketing course. And I loved that life, but I was really ready to not be on an airplane all the time. So my team and I are exceptionally fortunate that we all work from home. And from that perspective only, this hasn't been a big, uh, a big change for us. So you were doing it before it was cool. <laughs> I was, Well, before it was required, I would say. I, I'm still not sure everyone would argue that it's cool. 
So Adele Ravella, for folks who may not know what a buyer persona is, uh, could you, and I know you've never had to explain this before, but explain what a buyer persona is. But first, let me preface that by uh, saying something, which is all this digital marketing that we do, a lot of people will want to make you think that they have some sort of secret sauce or whatever, and, and there isn't. And it really bothers me when my agency brethren start spouting off like that, and most good ones don't. But in my experience, the buyer persona is pretty close to uh, the secret sauce. And we ha- I say that because we have seen the power of it and how well it works. And in our case, two things have happened when we've done it the buyer personas for clients. Uh, you know, we do a workshop with their salespeople to find out what their questions the, that their customers are asking. But the truth is, those tend to be things that are more towards the end of the journey of the buyer. We then do buyer persona interviews, and we do them just like you teach uh, in the book. And we've uh, even had some extra training from you. And And we even include uh, only one scripted question, just the way you teach it, which is the very first question you can only have is, take me back to when you uh, first wanted to solve this problem or or when this became uh, a priority for you. And we get such great insights into our clients' customers. And we come back to them and they'll say uh, one of two things, if not both. One is, wow, you really understand our customers. And all we did was ask the five rings of insight, basically. And then the other thing that sometimes these customers say is, uh, and and this warms the cockles of my heart, the clients will say, wow, I forgot just how much goes on in our customer's world before they get to us. (laughs) Yeah. So, so please explain what a buyer persona is. Yeah, well, and the way we approach personas is, is arguably quite a bit different from how a lot of people approach them. Um, but my perspective is that a buyer persona needs to tell you everything that your buyers need to know and experience throughout their buying journey so that they will trust that you are the right choice for them so that they will make the decision to buy from you. And can you touch on what the five rings of insights are? I've given talks to marketers and salespeople where I'm urging them not to talk about their products first, and they don't quite understand what they should do. I talk to them about the five rings of insight, and the light bulb starts to go on. Yeah, and and I and I, I hope we can talk a little bit about how we're seeing personas shift, or at least building personas shift. Yeah. But uh, the five rings of buying insight haven't changed and they will never change because, you know, if you're thinking about everything your buyers need to know and experience, then from the buyer's perspective, there's five things that are important to the buyer. And these are categories of insight. So first of all, the first category, we call it priority initiatives. But these are really what's driving your buyer's decision to invest in your category, to even think about buying a solution, what's changed in their environment to make that a priority at this time. Uh, The second category of insight, we call it success factors. Uh, Most marketers would think of these as benefits. These are the outcomes that your buyers believe that they are going to achieve, the outcomes or results they'll get from buying your solution. So could that include some of the emotional benefits? It, it's any kind of benefit. It's it, it might not be anything at all related to your product. It's some result 
that they're going to produce because they have your product. And that's the problem. Most benefits, the way we've always built them, the way I was trained to build them, you know, eons ago, uh, is, you know, you reverse engineer what your product does and you get your benefit. Well, this is different. <laughs> well, our product is X, so buyers need that. Uh, and, and that's a pretty self-serving attitude, obviously. So uh, that's, that's the second category of insight success factors. Uh, my favorite insight is actually the third category. Uh, and we call this perceived barriers. And uh, sometimes I'll call this the bad news. Or the baby is ugly. Yeah, this is the re these are the perceptions and attitudes that cause buyers to either stay stuck in the status quo or to choose your competitor. And so I'll tell you what, again, as a diehard fan of results and ROI, the most important category of insight is perceived barriers because this tells me what objections our sales and marketing effort need to overcome in order to win that buyer's business. And often the barriers are not even valid, but they think they are. That's why I call them perceptions and attitudes. And, you know, I I would argue that in the marketing world, perception is reality. It's It, it doesn't matter what's logical so much as how people perceive things. The fourth category of insight, we call decision criteria. And these are all the questions your buyers are asking as they go through their journey, all the different capabilities of your solution or your company or your price or anything at all. And this is usually the area where you get the most insights into everything that marketing needs to talk about in order to make sure that that customer feels comfortable that you can deliver the benefits. And, and this is what's tricky because, you know, we all learned about benefits marketing, but if we don't address their questions uh, and, you know, Marcus Sheridan's one of my biggest fans. Um, I just love that guy. Because, have you interviewed him, Doug? Yes. I interviewed him for authors in quarantine. And I've actually interviewed him twice for the podcast for the first and second edition of his book. They ask you answer, which is fabulous. And one of my favorites. Yeah, so he's talking about what I'm talking about with decision criteria. It's all the questions they ask. And then the last category of insight we call buyer's journey, not last because it's least important, but it's just the order we present them. These are all the steps your buyers go through, the process, if you will, that they go through to get from that initial uh, awareness stage all the way through the actual choice of providers. It's all the resources they trust. It's all the different roles that are involved in the buying committee or in that decision. And, and that's all laid out for you in the buyer's journey. Yes. Now, you mentioned that there are some things that are changing. Yeah. I mean, what hasn't changed in the last two months, right, Doug? It would be a shorter list, right? Oh, is there a second edition of your book coming out? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, we did just publish a new landing page on our site, and we, we've got a banner at the top of our homepage with a link to it at buyerpersona.com to talk about uh, what's happening now that our buyers are in crisis. And uh, one way or another, whether they're dealing with, you know, unprecedented demand or unprecedented loss of revenue, or even just in the middle of that spectrum, all of our buyers are dealing with an incredible amount of change. And so we've decided to talk about the need for a more agile 
approach to buyer personas. Uh, in the past, we've, we know that companies have often relied on their salespeople's knowledge or a few customer interviews to build their personas. And, you know, they could create a persona and consider it pretty durable. It's something that they would generally build as a one-time project and kind of forget about. But now a couple of things are happening as a result of, you know, this pandemic in that the salespeople's knowledge is completely obsolete. Everything that they've known about their buyers until now is not applicable in this current environment. And the personas we built, the data in there is obsolete, mostly obsolete. Well, I guess I'm a little surprised at how strongly you're phrasing that. Well, if you think about, let's just take our five insights we just talked about. So first of all, the priorities, the priority, priority initiatives, the first ring of insight, all of that's changed. Uh, the economic buyer is coming down. Even if you've had a buying committee, and this is how we're approaching this now, interviewing people who were in process of an evaluation prior to the business shutdown associated with the pandemic, and finding out from, you know, even at the C-level, what kinds of adjustments are they making to their priorities? Because as a result of this event, uh, they're going to be, de- you know, de- <laughs> that's not the right word. They're going to be putting less focus on certain initiatives, and they're going to be putting more focus on other initiatives. And so the priority initiatives are going to change. Success factors are going to change. Their outcomes, and I would say to you this, that when people are in a crisis, they become much more narrowly focused. It's actually human nature, if we want to talk about, you know, humanity, that when there's danger present, we don't, we don't think about big, sweeping, strategic investments like a lot of us marketers have focused on with our messaging. Instead, they're now very narrowly focused on a few key success factors, a few key outcomes that are crucial to them. And marketers need to know what those are. And this is why we talk about agile. They need that quickly. And then we're suggesting that those insights need to be updated monthly or quarterly as this crisis plays out, because nobody knows. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody thinks that we're going to return to exactly the same version of normal and it's going to be some different version. And when it does occur, it's going to be a process. We're not going to get there quickly. So their objections are going to be different. Their business environment, their perceived barriers are different. Even their decision criteria, although we think this might change the least, if they're still investing in our category, there's probably several things that will be similar that they had questions about, but there will be some new concerns that they have associated with uh, solving their business problems in this crisis. Their journey may be different. They may have different people that are involved. We fully expect that, you know, investments that might have been signed off at a relatively lower level in the organization, that all of those are going to be escalated now that uh, budgeting issues are, uh, you know, have changed. Yes, it brings to mind the idea that maybe everyone and every company has gone down a few notches on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where rather than self-actualization from a business uh, standpoint, it's more closer to survival now. Exactly. Yeah, I saw I saw a version of that on a podcast this morning where the lowest level of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs was toilet paper, but 
<laughs> instead of food shelter and whatever. But anyway. Well, let's not forget about the importance of cocktails yeah. on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> yeah, cocktails. Cheers, Doug. I agree. I'm raising my glass to you now. So yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a interesting moment. I was reflecting on your question prior to the podcast about, you know, what, how are people sort of dealing with this? And, and I think a really good way for, for us to think about this is that, you know, most of our buyers and we as marketers are in some phase of grief, having given up so much of what we've taken for granted in our lives. And, and everybody's experiencing this kind of loss. And, and when people are in grief, it's we've got to think differently about how to approach them. Uh, one of my favorite books, I, I doubt you would have interviewed her because she's not written a marketing book per se, but Sheryl Sandberg wrote a fascinating book called Option B. Have you read it by any chance, Doug? I have not, but I know she's the chief operating officer of Facebook, and she wrote Lean In. Correct. And then a few years after she wrote Lean In, she lost her husband quite suddenly. He died of a heart attack. He was quite young, and it was quite sudden. And the book is about grief. And it was recommended to me a few years ago when a number of my friends were terminally ill. And um, this is the part I love. This is my favorite quote. I was looking up about and it sort of defines the title because the book is about how she worked through her grief and found joy again and she's and of course option b refers to the fact that her therapist who she co-wrote the book with said hey option a because she was lamenting all the things that were never going to happen in her life she had young children and you know all these things that weren't going to happen and he said option a is gone we've got to kick the shit out of option b i hope it's okay if i say that word on your podcast. No problemo. I mean, this is the cocktail hour, but we have to kick it out of... Out of B. We've got to kick the shit out of option B. I mean, a lot of us had a way of, you know, uh, that our lives were supposed to turn out uh, or that our days were supposed to turn out back before the last, this, this pandemic hit. And now option A is gone, at least for the time being. So how do we kick the shit out of option B? And what would you suggest? Uh, people keep an open mind or don't expect things to come back so quickly? No, you know, I no, I that's not it exactly. I think it's that we all, in our own way, have to find a way to, as, and this is why I love it's funny to be recommending this book on a marketing book podcast. You probably think I'm strange, but you know, I, I, I really think we all have to find a way to, to reinvent what the future looks like. And it's going to be personal for everyone. And it's not about bucking it, bucking it up because, you know, that's as a matter of fact, the last thing when you're in grief that anybody wants to hear, it's about recognizing the loss that people that we're all experiencing, whether, you know, for me, it was, I, we had, you know, 100 clients, huge companies that were relying on our services, I have this fantastic team of 15 people, and processes and all that in place. And now it's about, you know, for me personally, looking at in this period of time, how do I make this work for the people on my team? And how do I make the work we do for our clients even more valuable, 
given this new normal. And I think everybody has to come to that in their own way. And for me, it brings to mind a lot of fresh thinking that I'm seeing, either from me personally or people I know or from my own company. They're experiencing this phenomenon of why have we always been doing that? Or why did we do that particular thing for so long? And people are stepping back and saying, okay, what is it we do? What is the real service we provide? What is the problem that we uh, solve rather than what I mentioned earlier about talking about your products and services before anything else. Yeah. And, you know, how do we be meaningful? I mean, sure, we, we're hearing these stories and I, you know, I've, I'm trying to sit in on podcasts just to kind of hear where different marketers are in this process. Plus we're talking to our customers every day, but you know, there's a lot of this focus on, Oh, let's be empathetic and, Let's see how we can, you know, I don't know, some companies have been able to pivot and make face masks or ventilators or whatever. Well, you know, we work in with a lot of companies that really just can't do that. I mean, it's just not. Yes, it makes for a great news story, but I don't think most of us can do things like that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. And so what are we actually going to do now? And for me, my one source of truth, my true north is always to ask the customers and to really be listening very intently. Uh, One of the things that that Sheryl Sandberg talks about in her book, Option B, and and I think that's a really great sort of way to think about what we're doing right now with our customers, which is, you know, when her husband died, people would come up to her and say, gosh, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And we're kind of doing the same thing in marketing. We're going out and saying, well, if there's anything I can do, let me know. Well, in fact, what we need to do is find something to do. And she talked about that a lot. It's like when she was in that stage, she it was too much to ask of her to think of something that she needed. It's like the one of the examples she gives is, you know, somebody saying, I'm going to be downstairs in your lobby for an hour I would love to buy you lunch. I'm going to wait there for an hour. If you can make it work, you know, text me. Not like, gosh, let's have lunch sometime. Let me know when you're available. It's we need to take more positive action to actually look for what our customers need. Find some very small way. That's such a small thing to say, I'm going to, you know, show up in your lobby and buy you lunch, right? Maybe we can't do that, but We've got these such big, grandiose messages around our products, a lot of us, and especially because I work so much in tech and always have, and we've really got to look for some very specific small thing that out of all the capabilities we can deliver really matters in this moment. And the buyers, the customers are the source of that, but we have to listen very carefully because they may not be able to articulate that. Yes, it brings to mind the stories of uh, Steve Jobs or Henry Ford, who really understood their customers well. And, and the apocryphal story is that Henry Ford said if he'd asked customers what they wanted, they would have asked for faster horses that ate less. And I have to laugh because in your book, you talked about Steve Jobs and said, look, if Steve Jobs works at your company, you don't need this book. But Steve Jobs is one of the few people that had deep insights into uh, his own customers. 
Which reminds me of another book that was on the podcast. It was the ultimate startup guide for you know, marketing for startup companies by these two marketers in Silicon Valley, uh, Tom Hogan and Carol Broadbent. And they start the book talking about how the legend of Steve Jobs was one of the worst things to happen to startup CEOs because they thought they were supposed to behave like him. And while he had great insights into his customers, almost everything else he did doesn't tend to work well for startups or, or any company, really. Yeah, he was he was a savant. And if you happen to have a savant in your company, then please stop listening to this podcast now and go, you know, sit at his feet and and listen to what you need to do. But otherwise you should really be listening to your customers. Yeah. Related to that, there have been some other uh, books on the show that talk about uh, observing customers and just trying to find uh, the insights. For instance, one of them was a book by Roger Dooley, who wrote a book called Friction. And he talks about how if you are able to find the friction in your customer's life and start to observe them and start to come up with some ideas of things that might help them, it can it can be enormously profitable. And uh, Shep Hyken is another one. He wrote The Convenience Revolution, and then there have been others. But the thing I like so much about the books is that they go into explaining how to observe your customers and where there might be a continuum where on one end, you're almost like an ethnographer just trying to understand them. And on the other end, you're asking them what they want. <laughs> I think we know which works better if you're observing them because they often can't articulate what it is they want. Well, and, and, you know, really, I mean, I love what you're saying about the idea that of observing customers and, you know, even Henry Ford saying people would have said they wanted a faster horse. You know, there's, uh, I can't think of the name, the author's name that wrote jobs that talks about jobs to be done. Clayton Christensen. Yeah. Clayton Christensen. And some people have read my book or, or learned about our methodology and said, Adele, this is like jobs to be done, isn't it? And I said, yes, it is. And because when we're observing people to understand them, we need a context. And the problem with a lot of the work done on buyer personas is, is there's no context. It's so we end up with stuff like, you know, this is Susie Q, and she's got two kids and a dog and likes yoga. And what we're trying to market to her is, I don't know, better soft, better technology security. And we're all left scratching our heads going, what that, what's that about? So in our world, we're trying to help buyers do a very specific job, which is solve a particular problem in their company using my client's software, my client's technology, my client's whatever product or solution it is. And we, it, the job is to buy it. The job isn't to use it. So where a lot of people are coming from and observing buyers is observing people using it. And that's good if you're trying to make the product better and more useful. But as marketers, we're trying to make the job, and it's a hard job. I'll tell you guys, we, we've interviewed thousands and thousands of B2B buyers, and I wish you could hear them describe how bloody hard it is to buy our stuff, to get the information they need to, to buy and figure out who can be the best solution for them. And so 
our interview methodology, and, and you said it at the beginning, I want to go back to that, Doug, which is take me back to the day when you first you needed a solution like this, because now we're interviewing that person in the context of that job of from the very first day trying to find a solution to that problem. We're not interviewing them about their, you know, like hobbies and personalities and how risk adverse they are and not risk adverse. We're interviewing them in the context of a job. That's where the in-depth insight comes from. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And as I read through all these other books that have been on the show, a number of them talk about buyer personas. And of course, I always compare what they say about buyer personas to what you say. But there was a book on the show recently from Harvard Business Review about context marketing, uh, the context marketing revolution by Matthew Sweezy. I know Matthew very well. So like I said, in his book, he talks about uh, buyer personas. And when you, you mentioned that about context, he does a masterful job in the book of explaining uh, for me, I mean, having worked on Madison Avenue in New York, you know, where you described this customer who has two kids and she likes yoga and she has a dog. It reminds me of the things I would see on media plans for targeting a buyer on network television. And he's explaining how that really has become quite passe. And it was like... Uh, it's all about the context now. And I think the more that folks understand that context, it seems to me that their age and all those other kinds of things for targeting are a whole lot less important now. Well, and there you go, Doug. So now we circle back to this crisis, this pandemic, and realize that the context for just about everybody on the planet has just changed quite suddenly. And now we can see why we need to refresh our buyer personas and our buyer insight and, and why we're su suggesting that that context is not going to settle down anytime soon. And, and this is why we're saying we need really continuous ongoing listening and interviews with buyers to understand that cycle and so that we can effectively get beyond the we're here for you and start to messaging and start to say, we can deliver X in this time of need. We can be very much more specific and targeted in our messaging. Yes, the second guest on this series of Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails was Philip Stutz. And he has a corporate marketing firm, but he also has a political marketing firm. And they do a lot of polling, uh, continuous research into attitudes of consumers. And he talked about this very fresh information research he has about how quickly consumer attitudes changed with the advent of this uh, coronavirus pandemic and the, the quarantine that's going on. And it very much echoes what you're saying about how quickly it has changed and how people are much more concerned about things like safety and trust than uh, some of these other things. And I'll include a link to his research on your episodes show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. It's free research and you don't even have to give me your email address, but I think you would really like it. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Well, Adele, it's been a real treat for me to be able to catch up with you. And I got to uh, see you speak and meet you in person at Content Marketing World a couple years ago. And I know that's one of your favorite conferences. So that was a real thrill for me. And being able to reconnect with you today has uh, 
been a lot of fun. And I hope that you and your husband and the dogs and the cat and all the folks you work with continue to stay healthy, safe, and reasonably sane. Thank you. You too, Doug. You take care. I really appreciate being here.